Before we start today's Beef Watch podcast, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for being a listener. During the month of November, the Nebraska Extension Beef Team is asking for your feedback on the podcast. What content has been most valuable to you? And what topics would you like to see discussed in the future? If you'd be willing to take a few minutes to fill out a brief survey, we'd really appreciate it. The survey can be found at beef.unl.edu, and it's located there at the top of the homepage. Thanks again for being willing to do that for us. We really appreciate your feedback, and we hope you enjoy today's podcast. Welcome to the Beef Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to discuss an article from the November issue of the Beef Watch Newsletter titled Protein Supplementation, What Should I Know Before Purchasing? To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by the co-authors, Hannah Smith, who's a Nebraska Extension Beef Systems Educator, as well as Dr. Travis Molinix, who's a University of Nebraska-Lincoln Beef Cattle Nutritionist. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Aaron. Before we dive into the topic of thinking about what should we purchase as we're thinking about protein supplementation or what are our options, Maybe let's go back to the fundamentals a little bit and just revisit why do we need to think about protein supplementation for cattle on low quality forage? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question, Aaron. And you know, from a fundamental standpoint, is when we're feeding a beef cow, we're, we're not only feeding the cow herself, but we're also feeding the microbes or the rumen. And so the cow, she, she has her own requirements, and we have requirements. For the microbes. And so from a low quality standpoint is we've got to make sure we're meeting the requirements of the microbes first so that she can actually digest and, and utilize that forage. And so an easy marker of where that requirement is for the microbes is once forage crew protein gets to 7% or lower, we start seeing intake issues. And so as forage quality declines and we get, you know, in that low quality forage status that with less than 7%, we see a huge drop in intake. And so by feeding a protein supplement at the time, and only if it feeds those microbes to help digest that forage, and it does two, two things. It, it provides for those microbes, but it also increases energy intake. And so that cow now has the ability to uh, consume that forage, digest that forage, and it increases her energy intake by doing that. It increases those utilization and, and um, of those microbes. And so in those low quality scenarios, we really got to think first of, I've got to meet the needs of the microbes, and then I can meet the needs of the cow. So just to go a little deeper with that, Travis, when we see protein fall below 7%, basically what's happening is the, there's not adequate protein in the forage enough to meet the protein needs of the microbes for them to reproduce themselves. Is that correct? That's correct. You know, so the microbes have their own substrates for their utilization uh, for their activity and feedstuff that they utilize. And so one of that is nitrogen and, and protein. And so once we get below that 7%, the, the adequate feedstuffs or adequate substrates for microbes utilization uh, for them to actually utilize that forage is not there. And so their activity slows down. And that's when we start running into intake issues because of gut fill is, is that forage stays in the rumen much longer and it takes them long to get out that 
the cow just eats less. And so, um, so that's really, you know, when we think about protein supplementation, especially in locally forages is that, that we really got to meet those requirements for those microbes to utilize that forage. So that forage leaves the rumen faster. Um, if it stays in the rumen longer, that's when we have a lot of issues with, with intake decreasing and cows not meeting their requirements. So by feeding the microbes, we increase their activity, which in fact then also increases the ability of that cow to eat more forage because we're moving it through the system faster. Is that is that pretty accurate? That's exactly what's going on. And so, you know, that forage has to get to a very small particle size for it to leave the room. And, and, and so it takes so much longer if there's not enough protein in the diet. And a lot of these forages will be in, in the rumen for... 42 to 72 hours. And, and so we really want to enhance the ability of those microbes to digest that forage and get it out of the rumen quicker. And so that, that would really impact her ability to consume that low quality forage, but it really impacts the energy use and the energy going to that cow at that point. So let's talk about supplemental protein. What are some different options available to us as we think about meeting the protein needs of a cow on low quality forage. I think this is one where I can jump in here real quick and, and add some, some thoughts. So obviously, you know, I kind of reside up in the North central portion of the state. And so you see a lot of opportunity for some cake cubes, but then also you've also got your grain mixes, your blocks, your tubs, your forages, what have you, some supplemental forages that have all that. But the big question that you have to come back to is the type of protein you would like to supplement. So um, I know we've mainly talked about cows on a low quality forage system, but then you can also dive in and complicate the conversation with um, looking at whether you're developing a smaller heifer or even feeding a first or second calver whose intake capacity isn't quite what an older mature cow's is, or even talking about feeding some calves. Um, I think you all did a really good job of touching base. I mean, you very eloquently summed up why we have to change feedstuffs or protein types across classes of cattle from the standpoint of rate of passage based on activity of your microbes. That was, that was so well concisely put, but that also is the complication when we start thinking about what do we need to be putting in front of an animal? So do we need to be sourcing something that is a higher quality, uh, for lack of a better term, natural protein? So do we find another forage that has that high quality protein uh, that's uh, something that we can have a high usage out of, but might be a little bit uh, more expensive from a purchase price? Or is it something that we can start to look at some non-protein nitrogen or urea and cheapen up that opportunity as well. Um, so again, it's thinking about what, what is my feeding goal? What am I trying to accomplish with that type of protein? Um, and then walk back into that. And so I think that's a way to make sure that economically, when you start analyzing um, on a cost per pound of nutrient, you keep that in mind. And it's not just doing the same old song and dance of, well, I like this 12% grain mix that I fed. So I think I can just keep feeding it. I think there's some ways to kind of tweak that depending on other input costs that we have throughout the year. And, and right now we're in a little bit more unstable times and rising costs. And so how can we tweak that a little bit um, based on the type of, whether it be natural or, or a, a non-protein nitrogen source to be able to meet microbe needs and then 
follow that with animal needs as well, depending on class of cattle. So let's talk a little more about class of cattle. I think that's a really good point. You mentioned, Hannah, we may have heifers that we're developing or we may have mature cows. Let's talk a little bit about the difference of protein requirements for those classes of cattle. Yeah, so I am I will lead this off and then I'm going to hand the baton to Travis. But to, to keep it pretty simple for myself, you know, you think about, you talked about the rumen microbes, their needs. So that's thinking more along the lines of your rumen degradable protein. But then you've also got the animals requirements and that's thinking more, not only what you're feeding the microbes in a roundabout way, but your rumen undegradable protein. So that's the protein that's protected through the rumen and directly accessible post-ruminally to the animal. That rumen undegradable protein requirement is a lot higher in animals that are still growing. So, I mean, you can still see that increase or you can still see a benefit of some of that supplemental uh, rumen undegradable protein or RUP in a, a heifer that's still just having your second calf. And so I always like to think about that in a heifer development situation. I think that's something that might get missed from time to time is because we've got to make sure that we're feeding that feed stuff that's got some RUP in it so that you can keep that animal growing. You can make sure you're setting that animal up for success for whatever environment you're asking them to, to exist in. It's not that they're a higher maintenance or a higher nutrient demand animal. It's just, they've still got that growing requirement and so make sure that you're, again, depending on the class of cattle, you've got that RUP or RDP, which is the microbes. Again, uh, make sure you've got that kind of a, a good handle on both of those. Yeah, you know, to touch on what Hannah was talking about is protein supplementation is very complicated. Um, and so, uh, you know, not all proteins are created equal. And so that's very important to consider is that you could have two uh, protein sources, both of them be 30% crude protein, and both of them would have two different responses from that cow feeding. And so that's really important to think about the type of proteins we're feeding and why we're feeding them. And so there's different circumstances that, uh, like Hannah was talking about feeding something that's going to be a higher and rumen degradable protein sources, which is like, say your alfalfa hay would be a higher rumen degradable source. Uh, cotton seed mill is a high rumen degradable. Soybean mill is a high rumen degradable. And so th those have their places and they have their needs where they work very well. And, and there are circumstances that we need something that's going to be high in rumen undegradable, that, that fraction, like and I mentioned that it's going to bypass degradation at the rumen and, and the cow's going to absorb it as it was fed. And so th those supplements would be like a distillers that's about 65% rumen undergradable. And those are really important from the aspect of, of growth the, of our younger animals that are growing have a higher requirement for that rumen undergradable or what we call metabolizable protein, which is what the cow's getting. The other component to that is, is, during high stressful times, like let's say winter that are wet or cold, we find that these supplements that's a high in rumen undergradable portion do better for the cow in handling that stress that there's less weight loss. And, and that gets really complicated why there's less weight loss with feeding high rumen undergradable versus rumen degradable if they're equal. But it, it allows that cow to, to get through that stressful time in a much better condition. And there's a lot of research that, that shows that rumen undergradable protein sources have a much 
a bigger benefit on reproductive processes of getting cows pregnant. And, and there's data showing if I feed it today in late gestation, it influences pregnancy rates next year. And so there's a lot of benefits to, to rumen undergradable as well. And so understanding the dynamics of when one type works and when one type doesn't work is very important. And when we think about the cost of that, that's important to consider is the impact of feeding one versus the other. So let's talk a little more about just the types of protein in terms of you mentioned an all-natural protein and then uh, the potential to also use a non-protein nitrogen source. Help us understand a little bit the differences in those and what are some things we should understand if we're thinking about utilizing those? Yeah, so, you know, we have true proteins or natural proteins. That's what Hannah was talking about, some rumen undergradable, rumen degradable. So think of your your alfalfa haze, your distillers, your soybean mills, all of those are, are true proteins. And then we have the non-protein nitrogens, which is basically urea or biuret. Biuret is basically two ureas uh, together. Uh, and urea or biuret has their own place, but they're highly degradable, high protein, they cheapen protein costs. Um, and they're, they're added to a lot of liquid feeds. They're added, they're the major uh, protein sources in liquid feeds or, or like tubs or um, any of these more convenient type feeding situations. Um, and there's there's a good place for them. The, the challenge comes into is they're highly degradable. So grazing a, a lower quality forage scenario, if I'm feeding something that's highly degradable, utilizing the rumen very rapidly, then if there's too much protein there, a lot of it gets wasted. And it gets urinated out and it's not utilized very efficiently. In scenarios that I'm feeding a true protein, I have less waste, I have better utilization. And so even though I can cheapen some cost with a non-protein nitrogen or urea based, I may not actually be meeting its need. And then that goes back to the comment of two 30% protein supplements are not equal. And how that cow is going to utilize those and utilize the forage are totally two different things. And so, you know, just because something is cheaper and has similar protein doesn't mean it's a better choice from a cow performance aspect. And, and so that makes it very complicated decision of which one is better for my cows. One of the other things that's getting my attention right now is just the cost of delivery of protein supplement. As we think about cake or hay or something like that, Walk through with us the opportunity to reduce the frequency of delivery of protein supplements, especially on native range pasture. Can we do that? How much can we scale that back? What are some things to be aware of with doing that? So uh, I actually had a call on this last week, and I'm I'm going to start, Travis, but then I want you to nail down because you'll know the research projects better than I will on this. Um, but it was funny because uh, this rancher out of the Sandhills had, had called me and they had been asking, they were like, you know, I, I went to a meeting a few years back and they said that I've got to be feeding uh, a distillers based product four to five times a week to get the benefit out of it. And she had told me straight up that her her whole pro- her her whole supplementation goal was to increase protein content. And so from that standpoint, that that threw some some signs for me that she doesn't necessarily have to be supplementing that much. And I think that that's a great application. And Travis, I want you to quote it directly because I think some of that research was done there at Goodmanson. 
because it's it's energy. If you're trying to supplement for energy, it's a higher rate of supplementation. However, if you are supplementing for protein, it is a lesser rate of supplementation. So I want you to go ahead and quote that if you can. Yeah. So, you know, with protein supplementation, you have a lot of flexibility. And so there's been research for, oh man, over 50 years, 60 years now is showing that I can feed a protein supplement for protein need really infrequently. There's there's data from every other day, um, twice a week to even once per week if we're feeding the equivalent of the per day rate. For instance, if I'm feeding one pound per day, that in a weekly basis, I'm feeding seven pounds and making sure I'm feeding seven pounds per week, no matter what the infrequent supplementation is. And, And performance doesn't change. And the reason behind that is cows are extremely efficient, especially in low quality forages of utilization and recycling a protein that is fed infrequently. And so that gives a lot of flexibility to, to supplementation strategies. And, you know, back to the comment of we've got higher cost, higher feed cost, we have higher fuel cost, higher delivery cost. And one way to get around that is, is frequency is if I've been feeding, you know, like Hannah said that a producer feeding four or five times a week for protein needs, and I can really cut my costs by feeding twice a week and really decrease that uh, delivery cost and have the same performance. Now, if it's a energy basis and I'm feeding a uh, starch supplement like corn um, Milo, etc. I have to feed it every day. If it's a energy supplement that is a fiber based, as distillers is, and I'm feeding distillers for a as a energy supplement, I've got to feed it every other day at least. So there's a little bit of flexibility when I think about energy supplementation of of distillers or fiber based energy sources versus starch based of like corn but your frequency that you have to feed it is much regular. On on whole, when we talk about protein supplementation, you know, there is a lot of flexibility with how often I can feed protein supplementations and still have the same performance. And so that's really important when you think about how can I control some of those delivery costs. Anything else on this topic you think would be valuable as we point towards wrapping this up? Yeah, so one thing to really consider, especially with our costs being so high right now of of feed costs, delivery costs, et cetera, is waste. And so no matter what I'm feeding, I always have waste. And so um, and understanding your waste is very important. For instance, if I'm feeding a small pellet or I'm feeding wet distillers or dry distillers on the ground, I could have up to 40% waste. And so that's a massive waste of, of that protein supplement. If I'm feeding a 7 eighths cube, you know, feeding on the ground, it has about a 5% waste. And so much smaller waste. And so for a lot of guys that are looking at the cost difference between, let's see, distiller mill and the cost difference between it and a distiller cube, well, the cube's going to be much higher cost. It's going to be a higher cost per protein. 
but it really depends on your waste. If I can't feed that distiller mill in a bunk, that cube is going to be a much cost-effective way to feed it. And so understanding your waste is extremely important in controlling those costs and making sure I'm meeting those protein needs. Well, Travis, Hannah, thanks for your time today. I appreciate you joining me. No problem, Aaron. Thank you. For more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. The title of the article we discussed today, Protein Supplementation, What Should I Know Before Purchasing?